Oh, there's the record button. I'm usually the one recording and now nice. I don't have control. Nice. I'm sorry. I'm just going to turn my phone to airplane mode so I'm not distracted by my dozens and dozens of Twitter followers. <laughs> I, people are passionate about what you do. It's, it's awesome. It's really yeah, well, so am I. So I'm so That's excited good. to talk to you guys. Yeah, thanks for doing really this. Fun. I'm gonna do the same thing you did. What the heck does a podcast producer actually do? That's it. That's the entire open we need today. <laughs> I want to know how to do the things to do. This is three clips. I wouldn't lie to you. I don't know why anyone would do that to you. You deserve better is what I'm saying. And on this show, we try to help podcasters make something better. This show is a Castos original series. I am Jay Conzo. I'm an author, a speaker, a digital tinkerer, and host of several podcasts, including Unthinkable and this show, Three Clips. Today, we're mixing things up in a way that I, I couldn't wait to try, or rather that we couldn't wait to try. And I say we for a very specific reason. After all, this show is not just me. It's also producers Andrea Maraskin and today's producer, Cherie Turner. And that's the thing about the shows that you and I might admire. We look out at their success. We know they have producers who work on the show. It's probably not just a one-person shop. But what the heck does a podcast producer actually do? Even if we can hazard a guess for one instance or in general, there are so many different shapes and sizes and flavors and profiles of what responsibilities and skills are needed to be an intrepid and successful podcast producer. And so today, we are going to break down three clips, not from a host, but from one of the best producers I could think to speak to, Rebecca Sinanis. Rebecca works for Vox Media, and she is the lead producer of one of the business world's most popular podcasts, Pivot, with tech journalist Kara Swisher and NYU professor and marketing and media entrepreneur Scott Galloway. The show is produced for New York Magazine alongside of Vox, and it won a 2020 Webby Award and received Adweek's 2019 Thought Leadership of the Year Podcast Award. And today, I wanted to also have Sheree Turner join us on the microphone. So you're going to hear from Rebecca and me and also Sheree about the craft of producing podcasts. And so given all of that good stuff, when Rebecca showed up, I just started. We just launched into it and, and she did too. So we're actually going to drop you right into some tape that was not intended to be recorded, but there was so much goodness in it thanks to Rebecca and Sheree that I wanted to start with it. So away we go. I also had one of those like gremlins in the system last week where my phone was really close to like where my microphone runs and oh. I was hearing this like high pitch tinny noise oh. and I'm like, what the F is this? Yeah. And then I like look it up online and it's like, oh, if your phone is right next to your plug, Aliens. sometimes that can happen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 The thing with audio is like the only way to figure it out is to make mistakes, unfortunately, or that's the only way I've figured it out. <laughs> It's a rite of passage, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like you're not a real podcaster unless you have some technical issue that you can't explain despite years of doing this. Oh, yeah. And then having the, the epilogue of that is having somebody come in and be like, oh, turn this off and making a complete fool of you, you know, like 
things that you've spent forever just like lying awake at night being like, how do I fix this thing? Somebody's like, turn off echo cancellation. And it's like, oh. So, and we'll talk about this with Pivot. The added thing to all of it is we are on the tightest, most intense deadline at all times. So the room for error is unlike anything I've done really in the past. I've had moments, oh, I can tell you, one day Fareed Zakaria came on. Yeah. (laughs) And Kara's internet, there was storms in DC or wherever she was, and her internet dropped out. And so suddenly I'm left with Fareed Zakaria talking to Scott on Squadcast. Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. You can't put this in podcasts. Maybe you can. Um, Fareed Zakaria on Squadcast with Scott. Kara's dropping out and I'm on the phone sort of like working it out with her. And this was at the work from home situation. And I was wearing a collared shirt, but I had it tied around like above my navel. And in my haste, I stood up to call Kara and I didn't realize that for like 10 minutes, all that was there was my belly button <laughs> and Fareed Zakaria and, and Scott, like keeping Fareed Zakaria engaged as we like figured out these tech difficulties. <laughs> so <laughs> humiliating. Did you say anything when you sat back down? I was like, no, I, who am I, Jeffrey Tubin? I was like, this is awful. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's pretend this didn't happen. And then on top of it, You'll know because of Squadcast, like every time somebody drops out, it starts a new track. Yeah. And then you have to line it all up. So I had like, by the end of this, not only had I exposed my entire midriff to an incredible thinker for a good 10 minutes, I had to stack. My punishment was it took me like hours to figure out the order of tape and just, (laughs) and then I had to get it published by, you know, anyways. There's, there's a... There's a lot there, Rebecca. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, it's just such a pleasure to be here because I feel Thanks. like I never get the opportunity. Like, this is what I love so much. You're among friends. Yes. I love this so much. And what's frustrating, and I think the reason you reach out to me about the paradox of being a great producer is you're, you're really both trying to make it look seamless and, and effortless. And in doing so... Like all these little stories, all this work, all this intricacy, all this craft gets sort of lost. And I never really get to talk about it. So I'm so excited to talk about it with you. Sweet. I can't wait. I love the energy too. That's that's like that's exactly what we were going for when we were like, we need to do an episode about production. Who should we talk cool. to? Cool. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. So Sheree, uh, any housekeeping, any tech uh, issues or are we good to go? No, okay. we, we seem to be good. So, and we were just talking, Rebecca and I were just talking a bit about Squadcast. And one of the hard things about it is that what what I'm actually going to hear in the recordings is not what I'm yeah. hearing right now necessarily. I mean, the levels are helpful, but beyond that, it's yeah, it's a little bit of a crapshoot with I these know. remote recordings. <laughs> the one thing I was going to add about Squadcast, though, is that another fun thing is if the first recording, the primary recording, does get a little bit messed up, you can go to the backup recordings. But they do not match up perfectly. So there's an added level of syncing all those, Been there too. All those tracks, oh. which is, yeah. We should just leave in 100% of this. Because if we're talking about producers and production, I mean, this is what it takes. This is what we do. Yeah. So uh, just for the listener, 
We have a set format for most episodes. We're mixing it up for this one. So we are going to do three clips. Rebecca has chosen three clips to play for us. But the way we're going to run it, we usually do a clip for the premise, a clip for the format or the experience, and then a clip for the talent. Mm-hmm. We're going to do three different types here. One clip is going to be from Pivot uh, with with Kara and Scott, where you are not present in the audio, but there's some kind of story about how that clip came together. The second clip is going to be, there is a backstory, but it's about a unique challenge or joy or surprise, a, a clip that kind of highlights why you love this job, you know, a challenge you don't experience much, but it happens, uh, or a surprise that you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. And then clip number three is going to be one that we actually do hear you on the mic. Um, and I know you said that you're becoming more audibly present on the show. So I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's how we'll run things. But before we get there, Re- Rebecca, what what does a producer do? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, a producer, what does a producer do? A producer holds together all of the pieces. That's really the best way to describe it is the brilliant. I mean, it's I that's how I feel all the time is I'm like, I'm holding together the brand identity, I'm holding together the editorial vision, I'm holding together how those things then generate new ideas and what stories feed those ideas best and what guests will feed those ideas best. That feeds how we think about and interact with our audience. That then feeds what new segments we make um, and on and on and on. So what, aside from this interview, what have you done today and will you do later today? Ooh, um... Okay, so on a Monday morning with Pivot, um, I get up first thing in the morning, you know, make my pot of coffee, and I scour the news, scour the news. What is happening? Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, New York Times, Kara's Twitter feed, Scott's Twitter feed, um, uh, Kevin Roos's Twitter feed, um, you know, like people who are deeply in the know, what are they talking mm-hmm. about and why? And what I do with those is I've built over the years a format that Pivot always shows up in. So we always come in with banter. And in banter, I pull the stories that I don't think quite lend themselves to a long form story or like the most important story, but are either going to spark something really funny between Karen and Scott, spark something that will in a few weeks will be like, oh, remember when we talked about this? Now it's a big story or something that's character driven. Elon Musk versus Jeff Bezos, NASA is, you know, like who's going to win out there. And then I really try to pull out like, what's the big theme for the beginning of the week? And through that, I pull out like, what are the bones of this story? What are the things that Kara would need to convey to an audience in order to understand what is happening in this story if they haven't read the story? And then from there, I build out a couple of talking prompts just to get them started and keep them going. From there, it's their chemistry. Um, so really quickly, yeah. we're moving past the research now. And there's other stuff I'm sure you have to work on throughout the day yeah. for the show. Yeah. What kind of things fall under those categories? So, for example, on Mondays, we always have a friend of Pivot guest. Since we went to two times a week, which is another segment that I built out as we were bulking up the show to draw audiences for not one, but two shows a week. So while I'm researching all of this and putting this all together, I'm also coordinating with, and we will have almost always pre-booked guests, but I'm coordinating with their team to do what Cherie did for me, which was like, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's how you log on. You know, how would you like to be introduced? Um, What else are you working on? 
Cherie, you, you're like nodding, laughing, shaking your head as if you're like been there, done that, am doing that. Like what's going on over there? Oh, I'm just, I'm just like, yeah, we are all those behind the, like who makes the phone call to the guest? We do. Who makes sure that like all the research is done and that, you know, like you have good information to talk about and you know, we, we relay all the things that we learn to you. So we make sure that you can have a fruitful conversation with the person you're about to talk to, because the reality is, is that no one host can do all of these things. They can't know all the things and have done all the research and know their guests really well. And that's what, that's a big part of what producers do. And then we also like press the record button and make sure the files are downloaded. So just everything from the smallest details to that bigger picture stuff, like you were talking about, Rebecca, like, you know, just the the editorial voice of the show and how that's going to shift over time. And, you know, and, and I, you know, one thing I think about that, like in editing, you know, like how, how many times has Jay said this particular thing in the last five episodes? Well, I don't want him to say that yet again here, even though it's an important part of our message. Let's not say that every episode, things like that, where you're just like, oh, I have, you know, and that's maybe a small example, but you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, well, and one of the things I always think about is, one of my A number one jobs is to make sure that Jay always sounds good mm-hmm. and not just literally sounds good in someone's ears, but that what he's saying is something that he would want in the world and the same mm-hmm. for the guest. Yep. Right? Like I'm always watching out for their best interests. Yep. You know, so yeah. it's a because big part of it. The show is like you asked right. in the beginning, what does the producer do? And it's holding together the show. It's not just about making Jay look good because Jay needs to look good. Right. Jay needs to look good in order for people to continue coming back to the show. Right. And same with Pivot. All right, I want to get into these clips because uh, there's a lot of the actual tactical stuff I want to get sure. into, but of course we'll end up taking tangents about the work too. So. Sheree, uh, lead us into the category of clip, and then Rebecca, please set it up for our listeners. Um, The first one is this predictions clip. So we did talk about these three types of clips, and Mm -hmm. one of them was where there's some sort of backstory that people would not necessarily be able to pick up on, but that you could bring to the clip. I think this first clip with predictions was about like how like how the work comes together. Like perfect. Yeah, yeah. So the backstory behind it. Then. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. All right. Here we go. Okay, we're back. And we have a prediction from Baratunde Thurston, the creator and host of the podcast, How to Citizen with Baratunde. What's up, Pivot Producers? Thank you for having me on the show uh, a couple times in 2020. Here are my predictions for 2021 in response to Uh, how big business will or will not change their work cultures. Big business will continue to increase the volume of its talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and even the new kid on the block, anti-racism. We're going to see more hashtags, more initiatives, more pictures of black people in the recruiting imagery. Some of these businesses will even make meaningful changes in the form of financial contributions or recruiting and retention approaches. But many of those same businesses will continue to perpetuate exploitative business models that extract data and value from their customers. They will continue to talk about being good corporate citizens while taking advantage of every possible tax avoidance scheme, thus indirectly defunding the very society they claim to be a part of. They will continue to put profits over people because they'll feel stuck in the cycle of short-term shareholder value creation 
while failing to expand their definition of shareholder adequately and rapidly enough. Oh, and they're going to talk a lot more about how they want their employees to bring their full selves to work. And a few of them might even mean it. We have more about Baratunde's podcast in the show notes. Well, Daddy was so smart. He's so smart. Baratunde is so smart. Let me just say, I just had this discussion with a bunch of people the other day. Okay. So should I just go for it and tell you why? Yeah. How did, how did this come together? Yeah. Okay. So this came together. I'm going to take you, this was our 2021 predictions episode, but this origin story actually starts in, I believe, 2018. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, the show wasn't, was, was just starting to get popular. I believe we were still doing once a week and um, it was right around Christmas and Scott did not want to work. I think both of them wanted to take time off for their family and so did I. And the way Pivot works generally is it's in response to the news almost in real time. So I had to think of a new way to tell the Pivot story so that we could record it before and it would still sound present and future facing. And so I was like, what are we known for? Oh, predictions. People love our predictions. So I piloted out a show about looking towards the future. What do we predict is going to happen? 2019, I then reiterated this same format. But then I decided, now that I've thought through it, what if I went to Friends of Pivot and asked them for predictions and then have Karen Scott talk around it? And again, All of this came from the question of how do we not work the week of Christmas? Like, that's what being a producer is. So then this year, actually, this was one of our most downloaded episodes of all time. Because by the time we've gotten here, we really understood what we were doing. We knew which people to go after. We knew what we were talking about. And we knew to tell our, you know, marketing apparatus and the magazine that this was the direction we were moving in. And so there was some ramp up time. There was some excitement around it. And then just throwing it out there with Baratunde, like on top of it, I had to pick him. I had to say, what was the, what is the question that only Baratunde can answer? Why? And what are Karen Scott going to say in response to it? And then just throwing it out there, like the little ding, that's me too. So. (laughs) Cherie, what did you notice about that clip that people don't understand how hard it is to have that moment happen? Oh, goodness. I mean, I think Rebecca just explained it really well. There's just a lot of back thought that goes into making those moments. I Just listening to you talk, I would think that picking the guest is the hardest part. And just having that forethought of knowing your guest so well, like who's going to deliver what I need them to deliver? And also knowing them so well that you know what question to ask them to deliver on because you need to help them sound great. Right. You need to help them bring their strongest parts of what they do. So I think that that's really hard. And it and what I think happens for the listener is that it sounds so right. Like it's like, well, of course. And it's like, yeah, but do you know how much I had to sift through to get to that point where it works? There's just there's so much that goes into it. It's similar to I've heard people say that. Thank you. Yes. Agreed. Thank you. And I've heard this similar to when you see a beautifully crafted garment, you don't see the seams. Like you don't know where the stitching is. Like that's the point. And that's the magic of being the pivot producer is to make it be like, oh, we're just in our living room. Karen Scott are having a glass of wine and like it should sound that natural and that easy. 
And in order to do that, you know, I feel like I'm paddling frantically at all times. Let's move on to the next clip. So this one is sort of a surprise backstory mm. that that sort of points to why you think this job is the greatest <sighs> job ever, which I will give listeners a little insight into when I talked to Rebecca. That was one of the things we talked about is that she's just said, this is the best job ever. And I said, OK, let's let's have a clip that kind of speaks to something that was surprising or points to just the experiences that you have as a producer that led you to say that. So uh, I guess, do you want to say anything more about this clip or we can just talk about it afterwards? Um, I guess the only thing that I would say is the voice we're about to hear is Gene Sperling, who was the director of the National Economic Council and assistant to the president for economic policy under both presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, and specifically during the 2008 financial crisis. And uh, we asked him to come on the podcast just as the first CARES Act stimulus package was released um, during the early days of the pandemic to give us the context of, of how stimulus works. So, so that's the setup here. All right, here we go. You know, as much as this is harmful f- for our country, it's not really hurting all 320 million people equally. It's hurting what is it going to be, 30, 50, 70 people, million people brutally. They're losing their jobs. I have many family members, you have people doing your show now that are doing fine. Many people are doing fine. But a large chunk of Americans are going to lose everything. And so what we're starting to see is how do we do, you know, I mean, uh, how do we do major relief to help those people, those small businesses, you know, stay afloat. And, you know, I'm, I think, you know, sending out a $1,200 check is, is good. It helps a lot of people. But the thing you're going to need is that major response for the tens of millions of people who will get crushed. And if we can do that well enough, then maybe we'll be in better shape. And maybe, and I, I'm one of many who hope this, this will lead us to rethink our entire economic security. Word, compact. my brother. Word, Gina. Why'd you pull that clip? Oh, this is like, this is a story very close to my heart. So as I said, we we asked Gene to come on to talk about the stimulus package. And the night before he called me, texted me, whatever, and was like, hey, can we walk through how to log on to Squadcast? I don't know how to do this. And, you know, I was like, Gene, I promise you, you're smarter than Squadcast, but sure. So the night before the recording happens, Gene and I come on to Squadcast and I'm talking him through microphones. And at the same time, he's giving me a personal economics 101 lesson on the state of the economy and where we are as a nation and how he thought of of stimulus differently in 2008 and how it's being implemented now. And, you know, like I come from the humanities and so I shied away from economics from a very young age, but in this moment, I was deeply interested in it. Um, And one of the things he said was exactly what he ends up saying in this clip, which is everybody's getting $1,200, but Rebecca, you don't need $1,200 right now. Like it's nice to get $1,200, but nothing has changed in your life exactly. And stimulus is not just about helping people. It's about moving money through the economy, saying this person spends money here and then that person spends money there. And that's how you keep things afloat. 
And as a result of that conversation, I donated my stimulus check in full. And that is rewarding. That is rewarding is to be like, I just got the personal economics lesson that somebody at the Harvard Kennedy School couldn't get one on one in such a profound way that it made me understand how our systems work and who it leaves behind and what my personal responsibility in that is outside of being a producer. And just like, who gets that? You don't get that unless you get to talk to those people. And needless to say, he was, you know, all mic'd up and ready to go by the next day. Do you, did you always feel, I feel like there's two levels, two layers of the work unfolding all the time Mm -hmm. in production work. So one is um, sort of like what the work is about, the topics, the themes, what problems are you solving Mm -hmm. or desires are you meeting for the audience or the community that you seek to serve? Mm -hmm. Then there's like the mechanics of Mm -hmm. it all. And I've talked to some entrepreneurs, again, coming out of tech as I did, where they're in love with the mechanics of building business. Mm-hmm. And so they'll spot an opportunity in, I don't know, real estate, having no history in real estate, no real love for real estate, no passion for mm-hmm. it. And they are so excited about spotting that opportunity and the mechanics of building businesses that they'll go and enjoy building a real estate tech company. Yep. I could never do that. I am always inextricably linked with whatever the problem is we're trying to solve here, whoever we're serving. And if I don't feel a kinship to the community that I'm trying to serve, and I don't feel like I have intrinsic motivation around it, I'm probably not as excited about the work because yeah, I can get in love with the mechanics. But for me, it's about the intrinsic motivation. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure some people are hearing what you just said, Rebecca. And they're like, that's all well and good. Uh But in my production career, I have to pay the bills. I have to do whatever project comes my way. And maybe it is that real estate analogy, but for podcasting. So early in your career, (laughs) did you feel that there was a marriage between the topics you love and the production? Or were you just trying to get a foot in the door and work your way towards that marriage? Um, I, I guess both. And at different times, you know, like I came in, I have a love a an innate alignment and passion for public service journalism and have along the way fallen in love with the medium of audio and gotten really lucky that the medium of audio has grown at about the same pace that I have grown. But let me tell you, I have spent years waiting tables, years and years and years waiting tables. When Pivot was first, the first, I think four months of Pivot, I was a waitress and freelancing and I would waitress and then I would run over to the box studios and, and, and record pivot and then get it done. And then I would wake up the next morning waitress. Like, yeah, I hear you. It's tough. Being in a creative industry is tough. Sheree, any thoughts on your own journey in in similar fashion? Oh goodness. One of the things that I have thought about a lot is always just making sure that your skills are really good. Mm. Um, something I've always kept in mind when I have had to do jobs that I wasn't necessarily excited about. And I'll just, you know, going back to my early writing days, especially, and always just making sure that like whatever you're writing about or whatever you're doing, you're building the foundation of getting better. So even the very first show that I was working on, it was a friend's idea. It wasn't something I was particularly passionate about, but I'm like, I'm going to make, I'm going to figure out how to make sound good. I'm going to figure out recording. I'm going to figure out all this remote recording stuff and just really just putting in the work to 
I've always said, like, be ready to take opportunity when it arrives. Like, make sure that you are ready to jump on and just say yes. Yes. And know that you're going to arrive and you're going to do it. Yeah. Because that, like, that's so much of of moving forward is you have to jump into situations where you're like, I don't know, I don't know. And it's like, oh, yeah, I do know. I'm going to get this done. And I'm going to do a really good job. Uh, All right, let's go to the third clip. Okay, so the third clip is we asked you to come out from behind the production uh, shield, I guess we would say, and actually get on the mic. Because every so often, a producer does get on the mic and gets to insert themselves in a very obvious way. So do you have anything else to set up with this particular clip? I think I'm going to let it run and then talk about it afterwards. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, That's what I read. That's so what I, I'm not the only one, so don't noted. try to gaslight me on this. Wait, Rebecca, you're Rebecca. You're my you're my focus group. Did you read my tweets? Did you find them offensive? I did. Hmm? I did. And, and, and how did you interpret the, it? What, what look? What? You stepped into a trope that we all live in all the time. Is the problem? I hmm. think women always live in a world where we're held accountable for men's behavior, specifically around sex. And here was a moment where you just read it wrong. And I know you personally, and what I appreciate about you is you always come back and you're like, huh, I thought about it and maybe you're right. But you just stepped into our world without thinking about it. Yes. Which men do all the time. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's just that you did what men do all the time. You didn't do something new or outrageous. You just did what men do. Anyways, I I, I wasn't offended because I know you, but I got several text messages from friends that I talk to all but once a year being like, get your boy. What's Scott doing? FYI, just on GameStop, it opened at 480 this morning. Yeah. It's now at 264. Yep. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. so many young men are going to get so fucking smoked in this thing. So yep. smoked, yeah. and they are going to be so Hopefully, it's just so like a hundred dollars. That's the thing, also, Scott. Is I was like, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I know you, and I know your background mm-hmm. with Robin Hood, and I totally understood where you're coming from. But you stepped into the wrong narrative. Hundred percent. No, I, I think you're. I think you're. Thank um, you, Rebecca. I think your analysis is the right one. I just read the room incorrectly. Yeah. First off, so that. that was my first time on the show. <laughs> As a voice. <laughs> Way to step softly. Yeah. No, seriously, that was awesome. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. So this was uh, pretty recently around uh, the GameStop uh, gate, I guess. And Scott uh, said some things about, like, who the young men were and what was driving them to do this um, on Twitter. And I got, a, like I said, a series of people were reaching out to me and being like, what is Scott? What? What is he saying? And you know, I'm like a self-declared feminist as much as anybody else. And I was like, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And what I really appreciate about Scott as both a person and host is I've seen him evolve so much in terms of his thought and the way he evolves in his thought inspires me to evolve further into my thought and be like, where are the places where I can be more malleable, more compassionate, more like less absolutely right. So what happened in this situation was actually at the end of every recording, I go through with Karen Scott and we do a series of pickups, you know, where they stumbled, where they maybe got a factual error, where something could have been clearer. And this is what happened is Scott was like, hey, Rebecca, like read the room on this for me. This was all 
quote unquote off mic, except we happen to be still recording. And then in retro, and then as I was editing, I was like, actually, I think that my voice here is important because I both defend Scott as a host and his integrity as a host. And like, as a young, a young professional woman that I trust him, like Scott is not to be canceled here, quote unquote, like I, as that voice, trust that Scott did not have poor intentions and can learn from this. And he was wrong. And I thought that, and so that was the first time I literally edited myself into the show. Now, since then, I've popped on and off. And what's amazing about hosts is they've been really good at being like, too much, Rebecca. Nope. Like, you can't pop in here. And like, they're teaching me at the same time is they know their aesthetic. And I'm not. What would be... What would be a moment where they say too much, Rebecca? Well, no. the thing is, and and they're they're right, is it should be magical when the producer comes on. Yeah. It's like it it's like pulling back the curtain. It's like this moment, you've been in this moment of suspension of disbelief that you think you're best friends with Karen Scott and there's nobody there like putting it together. And then suddenly a producer comes on and is like, by the way, I'm in the background. And that can't be a recurring third voice. That has to be something where it's like, so I usually I come in with a joke. Like at the end of yesterday's episode, I was like, I think this show is now called Pivot with Pear Swisher and Scott and uh, Preparara's new best friend, Scott Galloway or something. You know, like usually that's how I come in. But this was the first time that I tested it out and it happened off mic and it happened in a way that felt organic to the show. And that's where I have learnings to do is like Karen and Scott are fabulous at what they do. I, you know. Yeah. I have a, a question for just Rebecca and then a question for both uh, you, Rebecca, and you, Sheree. Um, the question for you, just you, Rebecca, is um, I want to relate producers and hosts mm-hmm. for a moment. Scott and Kara are incredibly forceful, incredibly public, incredibly strong personalities. Yeah. How does one manage that duo yeah. um, respectfully, in a, in a confident mm-hmm. manner? There's both a personality level thing that I'm sure you're dealing with and then also just like thinking about the actual production and I think we've touched on the latter a yeah. little bit where you have the structure. What about the, just the personality and person to person relationship that you've been able to develop and how did that start and where has it gone? That's a great question because the truth is the only answer, the same as what we were talking about before is time. Like it took a long, long, long time and it took understanding who they were as actual people, um, what they care about um, outside of the show, who they care about outside of the show, like really, like any relationship, it's taken a lot of time, but it's that much more important because it gets the best out of them. Um, huh. And that's important in popping in here is like when they say, uh, you know, too much, Rebecca, respect it. They're right. They're the host. They are the front of the show. And when they say too much, then I back up, you know, like that respect as well for what they do. So the, the question I had for both of you was, what do you want more people to understand is the role of the producer? Because now with this clip, we've kind of started muddying the waters where you're now on the microphone. So there's now your producer and talent in some ways. And so I think one way people understand job functions and skill sets is they try to put it in a very tight box with walls that have absolutely no pores, right? It's like, that's what you do. And now I understand it. And what we're saying here is producers have messy roles by nature of the job and you see them continue to evolve both in general and what you see from podcasting at large, but also like Rebecca, you coming on the microphone more on, more on pivot 
is evolving that specific role. So um, when I first thought maybe we should talk to Rebecca, it was because you had retweeted someone who was like trying to champion the cause of producers. So I'm trying to give that a platform in some ways. Thank you. What do you want more people to understand? Thank you. I want more people to understand that I am an artist and that all producers are an artist. If you are an audio producer, you are an artist and nobody gets into art to produce like a corporate structured thing. And so much of what we ask producers to do is erase themselves and not bring their taste and only let their hosts push the show forward and, and, and never sort of get that, not just oxygen, but like space to drive the audio forward through their tastes. Um, and I've seen that so, like so many of there's, there's been a huge up, upheaval, I think for, for producers all over the place that, that feel this frustration. Um, and I want to see what they make. I want, I want more companies to put money into producers and not just top tier talent and then put producers around them. I want, that's what I really want to see because that's where amazing next generation audio is going to come from is people who got into it because they're artists. Um, so great question. Thank you for asking. And that's it. Sharia, I did want to give you the chance to follow up. What do I want people, what do I want people to know about being a producer? Well, we get to do all the fun stuff. I mean, seriously, we get to do, we get, well, (laughs) maybe not all the fun stuff, but yeah. So I'm a thinky person. I take a lot of time. I'm not always good in the moment. And so for me, producing is a lot of forethought and then a lot of like sitting down with the audio, listening to it, editing it down. Like you just spend, you spend a lot of time, even like with Rebecca, her show comes out, you know, she's, she's on very, very tight deadline. So that is a little bit accelerated, but she's still thinking about stuff that she did in 2018 and we're weaving it into the show. So I think you just get to be very thoughtful about it. And, and to your point about being an artist, Rebecca, it's like, it's a creative process. And I've always loved that. You know, like I said earlier, I come out of a writing background and I use so much of the same sorts of thought processes when I work on podcasts. And now I get this added benefit of getting to work with voice, which is so dynamic. So and just, dynamic. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so fun to work with. Totally. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So Rebecca, final question, then we can wrap. We usually end on a section about the show mm-hmm. and reinventing the yep. show because any project, no matter how strong grows stale over time, if done exactly yes. the same way, uh, let me talk about you and your career yeah. um, and reinventing your skills or evolving and improving, yeah, yeah, yeah. experimenting. What are you hoping to try next? Ooh, great question. Um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> great answer. <laughs> what are you a creative or something? Yeah. What? Yeah. What would you show up on this podcast for? Um, everything. I think. What's cool about the corporate part of it is we get a distinct prompt. Like we have a charge and so much of being an artist and create, it's like really easy to float out in space and be like, oh, and my biggest imagination and my hot, you know, like all these things. What's wonderful about it is like, okay, so you want to make pivot bigger. You want to make it more creative. You want more content. 
How does it make money? How does it benefit the audience? How does it stay in line with what's already working? And how does it also move forward? So, you know, things we're talking about, Pivot just signed a four-year contract with New York Magazine. And the things that I'm thinking about is like, how do we do narrative miniseries within Pivot? How do we build out new segments that when the news gets stale, you know, we have Scott teaching a mini class on something like, and really, actually, I went through this process when we moved pivot from one day a week to two days a week is like, how do you iterate? How do you take something that's working and expand it out while staying in alignment with what people love about it? So everything is the answer, everything I'm excited to do in the future. Uh, Rebecca, some shows send swag and little items to say thank you to the guests. We figured let's cut down on emissions and um, we'll be honest here, trash, because how long are you going to keep that on your shelf before it eventually finds totally. its way into the garbage? Let's be serious with each other. So what we're going to do is, is as a way of saying thank you for your time and for all the amazing stories and insights, we're going to place a small donation to uh, nokidhungry.org in your honor, in your name, as a way of saying thank you. Everybody should check out that organization. Everyone should also check out Pivot and all the great work that Rebecca does. Uh, it is Pivot from Rebecca Sinanis with <laughs> Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Rebecca, this was awesome. Thank you for coming. Thank on. you so much. It was an absolute pleasure, both of you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced and co hosted by Cherie Turner. Our theme music was provided by Cardboard Rocket Chip. Free Clips is a Castos original series. Castos gives creators all the tools they need to make their content go further with their podcasts. With Castos, you can automatically send your audio podcast episodes over to YouTube, get full word-for-word transcription of each episode, all on autopilot, by the way, and repurpose your content onto your website and elsewhere. Castos is one of the best platforms for hosting and controlling the experience driving your show. You can learn more at castos.com. You can find more of my projects, including my books, other shows that I make, and my course for podcasters at jayacunzo.com. All of these links are in your show notes. That's it for another episode of the show. As always, it is my fiercest belief about this work you and I do in audio, in storytelling, interviewing, in podcasting. This work is not about who arrives. It's all about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with us. And we'll talk to you on a brand new episode of the show this coming Monday. Oh, and uh, power to the producers out there. See ya.